You're listening to the Harborside Church Podcast. To connect with us online, go to www.harborside.org. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Hope you're doing well. It's a bit of a long reading. Well done, Sean, and well done, Ali, the whole band, Barnes tribe, for chipping in there. Bit of an interesting passage, isn't it? Bit of a macabre, not G-rated passage today we're looking at in an awesome series called Discover Jesus. Now, I know the last little while there's been rumours of discontent, so I want to address them right now. I know for the last sort of four weeks I've been hearing some rumours, so I just, I know you've been keen to hear something, and so I want to acknowledge, I know it's been four weeks since you've heard a band story, so I'm... I'm here to address that right now. If you know me, you'll, you'll realise that in my sermons I give a lot of illustrations from the band days. I was in a rock band for 10 years. Hey, you use what you got, right? And so this morning you're going to get another band story. I hope that's okay. I hope this mic isn't too... Is it echoey? Is it all right? Sounding okay? It's all right, cool. Thanks for being patient. Awesome. Hey, every week I'm just amazed at the people God is bringing to Harborside. I mean, people on stage using their gifts. Isn't it amazing? Wasn't the band fantastic? Can we just give them some love this morning? Um, I know Beth would hate me to say this, but she just before we started, she's like, I've got this crazy migraine and I can't see out of my left eye at all. But you know what? She, she presses, on, presses on. So if she's not up after the sermon, you'll know why. So Beth, thank you for your incredible service to us. We love you and thank you for using your gifts to glorify Jesus in this way. Okay, band story. I know you've been waiting. I know. One thing I really enjoyed about being in a band was every day was really different. There weren't many days that were the same. Now, don't get me wrong. There's quite a few things that are similar. Airports, airplanes, green rooms, hotel rooms, that kind of thing. But pretty much, no matter what, Every day was different. You're meeting new people. Around the corner was a different spirit experience, good or bad, whether you liked it or not. The life of a professional musician was pretty up and down, rather extreme. I remember particularly this one day. Uh, we were playing in a, in a town, any town USA. I don't exactly remember where it was, middle of America, middle of nowhere. And uh, quite honestly, it wasn't a great one. Okay, not every gig's going to be amazing, right? So this wasn't great. The promoter hadn't done a great job. There weren't many people there. We were a bit flat as a band. We weren't playing very well. We weren't uh, communicating very well. And that was sort of falling over a bit on stage. And the PA kept cutting out. And it just was one of those shows that wasn't amazing. You know what I mean? So we, we get back on the bus pretty deflated that morning. Uh, sorry, that evening, just kind of pretty flat, not really talking to each other. We sit down and quietly just kind of watch a movie together. An hour or so passes, and then the phone rings. It's our manager. Now, at that time, we were really trying to push the first single off our second album. We didn't have a lot of radio success from our first album, so we were really trying to push this new single. And we were waiting to hear, particularly, if this enormous uh, radio station called Air One were going to add our single, biggest radio station in America, Christian or not. Huge, absolutely enormous. And so we were waiting for the call. So I knew what this call was about. I answer the phone and my manager says, put me on speakerphone. And I'm thinking, oh, what if it's bad news? I don't know if we can take more bad news right now. Uh, so, I, okay, put him on, on speakerphone and he says, boys, Air One has just added your new single to high rotation. And just the mood changed in an instant. 
I still remember it. We were just so flat. And then as soon as he said that news, we were jumping up and down on the seats, high-fiving, celebrating, hugging, kissing. I don't know if we're kissing. We probably were. We were just so excited. We couldn't hear what our manager was saying on the phone after that. We just we were celebrating for so long. The extremes were enormous. We were so flattened down and then just had this absolute high of, it was our first taste of sort of success on the radio. And it really was just a crazy a time to see in, in a few moments the extremes of really flat to absolute high. There were so many days like this, so many periods of time in the band filled with exciting news and difficult news. Now we're going to learn in our passage today that following Jesus, it's a little bit like that, right? It's a mixed bag. Life can be wonderfully fruitful and frustratingly hard. In fact, the major emphasis of today's passage is that following Jesus can involve serious suffering and even persecution. There can be a significant cost to following Jesus. It's so, so fascinating. We were looking, today is the 100-year anniversary of Remembrance Day, and today we are looking at the cost of following Jesus. Didn't plan that. That's not the whole of the Christian life, okay? But it certainly can be a part of it. And this is what's on display for us particularly today in this passage is this theme of rejection. This theme of rejection. Last week I got home pretty tired, flopped on the couch, turned on free-to-air TV. I don't do that very often. And I was delighted to see one of my favourites, Back to the Future, on TV. Do you know it? Yeah? If you don't know it, where have you been living? It's a great movie. There's a, there's a sequel. There's a... What's the third movie called? Still a sequel? I don't know. It's a, there's a trilogy. They're great movies. The, the first one particularly, it's a great movie. If you don't know, it stars Michael J. Fox looking very young. And he is Marty McFly. He accidentally travels back in time 20 years. It's based in 1985. So he travels back to 1965. And during his travels back there, he accidentally messes up how his parents meet. And that puts his existence in jeopardy. Because if his parents don't meet, fall in love, have kids, he ceases to exist. So his parents don't know who he is, and it's, all, it's a strange kind of thing. So he has to play matchmaker to his parents, which is a crazy thought. So they don't obviously know who he is. And so his dad ends up being a total dork, and his mum's kind of cool. And his mum has the hots for him, which is totally weird. But it's a great movie if you haven't seen it. So anyway, he, the, his parents are in their final year of high school and they're in the lunchroom, you know, that classic American lunchroom scene in a movie. And his dad's a total dork and he's trying to convince his dad, saying, Dad, go over and ask Lorraine out. And he's thinking, we are worlds apart. She's cool, she's popular, she's good looking, and I'm a dork. And he says this, the dad says, you expect me to go over there in front of all those people and ask her out? What if she says No. I don't think I can take that kind of rejection. Ooh. I reckon we can all sympathize with that, can't we? I don't think I can take that kind of rejection. Many of us, totally fair enough, have a fear of rejection. Now, some of us have experience of it in lighthearted ways. I remember uh, being in year 10, the girl of my dreams totally uh, denying my pimple-faced advances. I remember it well. And then she turned around and dated my nemesis in year 10. The embarrassment of it, I'll never get over it. No, seriously. At the time, it was pretty serious. Now, some of us might have light-hearted experiences of rejection like that, but some of us might have very significant experiences 
of rejection from friends, family, loved ones. It can really hurt, and it can leave deep wounds. In our passage for today, we are facing the reality of rejection in the Christian life. I can hear you saying, I would purposely sign up to follow someone, and it's pretty much guaranteed I'm going to experience rejection. Dangerous things to be talking about as a new church. Today, we're going to be equipped with the necessary tools for the Christian life. That is, what do I mean by that? Right expectations. Right expectations that include ministry can be full of fruitfulness and ministry can be full of rejection. Because without these expectations, aren't we bound to be confused and disappointed? This is the great thing about Jesus. He gives us a vision for our entire lives. If it's just a part of our lives, what good is it? Jesus gives us a vision of our entire lives and prepares us for the reality of following him. So today, we're going to see Jesus rejected in his hometown. We're going to see the disciples sent out on their first mission. And we'll see John the Baptist, a model disciple of Jesus, suffer the ultimate cost of following. And throughout the passage, we'll see what these themes of rejection, partnering with Jesus in mission, and counting the cost of Jesus, what all that means for you and I. And let me say, it means a great deal. But we're going to get stuck in. Jesus has experienced great popularity with the crowds, hasn't he, so far in our journey through Mark. People are enamored with him. His teaching has authority. His miracles, healing, casting out demons, he is an electric figure and he has had incredible popularity with the crowds. Yes, the religious leaders have turned on him, but people are enamored with him, and now he goes to his hometown of Nazareth, and you'd expect a hero's welcome. Well, what happens? It doesn't really work out like that. Jesus enters the synagogue on the Sabbath to teach people, and people are amazed at his teaching. They're amazed. He teaches as one who has authority, and they're amazed, and they say, wow, he can teach. And we've heard, or maybe some of the witnessed, He's done some miracles, but then they say this. Check it out. Isn't this Mary's son? And the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. These are people Jesus has grown up with who know him as the carpenter. You know, they know him as Mary's son, right? They take offense at him, which means they reject him. Jesus' hometown, witness what he's been doing, what he's all about, and they reject him. Now, what's interesting here is the basis they reject him on. It's not the content of his teaching. I think it's amazing. And they're not denying the fact that Jesus has the ability to do the supernatural. They're denying Jesus because of their own preconceived ideas about him. They're rejecting him because their view of Jesus is so small. It's limited by their own bias. I remember uh, hearing an interview with Kylie Minogue. I'm a big fan, follow everything she does. Not really, but I I do admire the success she's had. She's great. We've probably got some Kylie Minogue fans here today. You will not be getting judged by me. Now, I remember hearing an interview with her. It stuck with me not that long ago, actually. And she felt she had to go overseas to the UK in order to further her career. If you know Kylie, you'll know this. Uh, to, To be taken seriously as an artist. She was an actress here. And then she, she had some pop, you know, artist success. But in order to further her career, she felt like he, she had to get away from Australia because everyone knew her as Charlene from Neighbours. Do you remember her as Charlene from Neighbours? 
And people couldn't get that out of their minds. They're thinking, Kylie, the pop star. No, no, Charlene from Neighbours. Same thing's kind of going on here, right? Some of us are the same when we approach Jesus. We come with our own preconceived ideas about him and struggle to view him as he truly is because of our own bias. Okay, now some of us might have problems with the church. I feel like saying, join the queue. I was, I was uh, working on my sermon during the week in a cafe, and I, I just ended up, I had my Bible open, I chatted to this lady, really lovely lady, and she said, oh, I like Jesus, but man, I've got problems with the church. The amount of times I've heard that, and I'm sure you've heard that too. You know, maybe you've grown up in the church and you don't have very positive experiences of it. Maybe you've had negative experiences people, sorry, negative experiences of people within the church. You're certainly not alone there. Maybe you've got preconceived ideas about Jesus from a youth group you attended or or, or a religiously affiliated school or whatever that is. Every single one of us have got to admit we bring our assumptions to the table when it comes to religion, don't we, when it comes to Jesus. Maybe some of us haven't taken the time to really figure out who Jesus is. Well, his hometown reject him, not on the facts, not on who he is and what he's done, but because of their own bias, and we're going to be careful not to do the same. Okay, so Jesus experiences this rejection, which is a foreshadow of what's to come on the cross. And then he sends his disciples out on their first mission. We're going to look at this now. They've been traveling with Jesus for a while, witnessing his power, hearing his teaching, and now he says, it's your turn. If you want to come after me, you've got a partner in what I'm doing, I'm going to send you out on mission. Now, I I don't know about you, but I find this a great comfort a really great comfort. Here's why. Up until this point, the disciples haven't exactly been doing well, have they? They're pretty blunt. They're kind of morons. They're they're just not getting it. They don't really understand who Jesus is. They're getting stuff wrong all the time. And yet he sends them out on mission. I love that. They don't have to have everything together in order for Jesus to use them. Now, what do they need to have? There's heaps of stuff we can get out of this section of of Scripture here today, but I really just want to highlight one thing, and that is their dependence on God. There are very specific things that Jesus tells the disciples about this particular mission. It's kind of strange. He says to them, don't take any money, don't take any bread, don't take an extra tunic, right? Those instructions are specific for them because later on in Mark's Gospel, in the Gospels themselves, Jesus gives them other specific information that is contrary to this, okay? So this is about a specific urgent mission that the disciples are going on. So it wouldn't be right for us to to go and um, assume hospitality and generosity on people we're trying to witness to. But what's the, the principle that's coming out of here? The principle is dependence on God. We must cultivate a radical dependence on God in everything we do here at Harborside, especially when it comes to our vision and our mission. We can see in verses 12 and 13 that the message they preached and the miracles they attempted to do had some success. We see that. Yesterday, we're talking about the cost of following Jesus. We're looking at rejection. But we see that the disciples, as they're sent out on mission, they experience some fruitfulness in their ministry. Now, why? It's not because they're amazing. Remember, that's absolutely crystal clear. It's because their authority is from Jesus. It's not their own. So even though these disciples have been blundering through the story so far, they can be used because their power lies not in themselves, but in Jesus. 
So what does that mean for followers of Jesus? Us, as sent ones. That's what apostle means. It just means sent one. What does that mean for us as we are sent into the world? Well, it means that with the power of Jesus, even though we will experience rejection, we will also experience fruitfulness, but only if we are in Jesus. Now, this week, uh, just as I've been trying to figure out, what does this, okay, what does this mean for us? The John 15, 5 has been in my mind. I can't get it out. And it's this. What does Jesus mean? Oh, there we are, sent. What does Jesus mean when he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. I've read that so many times, that, that verse of Scripture, and you, maybe you have, you've been a Christian a long time, and we sort of maybe glance over it, but this is very striking. It doesn't say, apart from me, you'll be able to do some things. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So what does that mean? It doesn't say, apart from me, you, you might be able to do some things, you can, you can have some success. No, apart from me, you can do nothing. In me, you'll have prayers answered, You'll have ministry fruitfulness. You'll see gospel fruitfulness. Apart from it, you can do nothing. It means we seek him for our vision and our mission at this church. Now, you know what one thing this does? It saves us from pride, which is the killer for all ministry fruitfulness. No matter what success or rejection we face, we bring it to Jesus. May we never think that this church, our vision or our mission are our own ideas, and we get there by leaning on our own smarts, because there's lots of smarts in this room. Yes, we work hard, and yes, we cultivate a radical dependence on Jesus. I, I love this quote. Oswald Chambers said this, all through history, God has chosen and used nobodies because their unusual dependence on him made possible the unique display of his power and grace. He chose and used somebodies only when they renounced dependence on their natural abilities and resources. It's quite confronting, isn't it? Yes, we use the gifts God has given us, but ultimately, apart from him, we can do nothing. We've got to cultivate a radical dependence on God. What should our posture of mission be? Without Jesus, we can do nothing. Not some things, not some success, it's nothing. All right, let's move on. Now we come up upon a confronting account, don't we, involving the death of John the Baptist. Mark has arranged these three sections of Scripture, Jesus' denial in his hometown, Jesus sending the disciples out on mission, and now this account of John the Baptist's beheading. He's arranged them all. They're all true accounts, but he's arranged them in this order. Why? He's given two accounts of rejection and the cost of following Jesus on either side of the disciples going out on mission to show us following Jesus can look like this. Mark is writing at a time where persecution is most likely pretty high in the early church. And he is, I think, saying to us, this is most likely going to be something Christians throughout time will experience, so be prepared. Jesus was rejected. You will experience both fruitfulness and rejection in the Christian life as we're sent out. And the cost of following Jesus can be very high, as we now see with John. Let's have a look. King Herod, hardly a king. That's an absolute flattery for him. He's more like a ro local ruler, a regional ruler. He's heard about Jesus. 
and the disciples. And he thinks, uh-oh. He's heard about supernatural happening. He's heard about the mystery. And he thinks, uh-oh. This could be John the Baptist raised from the dead. Now, if we've been keeping track, this is the first time we've heard about John the Baptist being dead. What happened? Now we get the flashback. Let's have a look at the story. John is presented to us as a model disciple. Remember back in chapter 1, he prepared the way for Jesus. He exudes humility and morality. At this point in time, Herod is involved in a national scandal. He's divorced his wife. He's taken his brother's wife. And it's all over the tabloids if they were there. It's, it's scandalous. And I don't know what the relationship with Herod and John was at this exact time, but John speaks truth to power. He says, this, this is not good for you to be doing. It's not lawful. And what happens? Well, Herod, like a lot of powerful people, don't like being reminded of their sinfulness. I don't know about, I don't like being reminded of my sinfulness either. Herod's not a fan of it, and he arrests John to keep him quiet, maybe to teach him a lesson. We're also told, actually, maybe even to protect him from his new wife. Now, Herodias, it's weird. Herod, Herodias, isn't that strange? They've got really similar names. That's maybe what attracted them to each other. I don't know. But um, Herodias, so Herod's not a fan of John speaking the truth to him, but Herodias, whew, she nurses a much greater grudge. She's determined to kill him. I came across this quote. The only place where her marriage certificate could be safely written was on the back of the death warrant of John the Baptist. She's determined to kill this truth teller, to solidify her own place in power. Doesn't take long for an opportunity to arise. And it's a bizarre and gruesome story, isn't it? Bizarre and gruesome. Don't worry, the kids in kids' church are not looking at this passage today. I was thinking, what craft would they be coming run? <laughs> Look, Dad, a platter. Oh, right. Okay. Don't worry, that's not happening. I don't think. It's not, it's not happening. Okay. Herod holds a lavish birthday party for himself. Who does that? And Herodias has her daughter from another marriage, so Herod's stepdaughter dance in front of him, most likely a provocative dance. If you can picture a debauched Roman party, don't picture it too clearly, but if you can, that's what's going on here, pretty debauched. Herod's almost certainly drunk, right, and fixated on this, it's gross, his stepdaughter's provocative dance, right? Everything about this story is wrong. She ends the dance and Herod utters an utterly foolish promise. Ask me for anything up to half my kingdom and it'll be yours. What a foolish thing to say. As if he had the authority to, to play this out. She runs back to her mum and her mum, Herodias, has the request locked and loaded. What should I ask for? The head of John the Baptist. Her opportunity to do away with that pesky voice of truth has now come, ask for the head of John the Baptist. The daughter goes back, tells it to Herod, and Herod is distressed. Distressed. Why? Because he actually had respect for John, didn't he? We're told that. He liked to listen to him. I don't know how that worked. Maybe he went down to the dungeon as John was in prison. He, he liked to listen to him speak about God and the coming kingdom, mixed with a rebuke. He was fascinated by him. He knew he was a holy man, certainly unworthy of this kind of treatment. But Herod is also a victim of his own foolishness, isn't he? 
He's given his stepdaughter a ridiculous promise. She's played him. His new wife's played him. And now he's seeking the approval of the people around me. I don't want to look like an idiot. What do I do? And he agrees. And John the Baptist, a faithful follower, meets his end. It's gruesome. And if you're anything like me, maybe you're thinking, this doesn't feel right. Doesn't feel right. John doesn't deserve that. Feel that a bit in you? I do. This is life in the kingdom. This is the, can be the result of following Jesus. Pretty early on in my walk as a serious Christian uh, in later teenage years, a friend of the family gave me a book. She could see me maturing very slowly. I had much maturing to do, and I still have much maturing to do. But she gave me this book. Uh, which I, I treasured and I read. I, I found it incredibly challenging. It's called Killing Fields, Living Fields. I don't know if you've read it. It's a, it's a fantastic read. It's incredibly confronting. It, um, it focuses on the church in Cambodia over the last 100 years, particularly focusing on the attempted destruction of the church by Pol Pot and his Khmer Rouge in the mid to late 1970s. And fascinatingly, it's flourishing after Pol Pot Pot tried to destroy it. I remember reading uh, the stories, the accounts of of what happened to these people. I was very confronted. This can be the result of following Jesus. There's a cost involved to this. And I remember reading about the account of Christian teacher Haim and his family, and it had a great effect on me. I'd love to to read it to you now. It's an amazing story. I think we honour them by repeating the story. So let's read it. I'll read it for us now. In the village of Siem Reap, Cambodia, Haim, a Christian teacher, knew that the youthful black-clad Khmer Rouge soldiers now heading across the field were coming this time for him. Haim was determined that when his time came, he would die with dignity and without complaint. Since liberation on April 17, 1975, what Cambodian had not considered this day. Haim's entire family were rounded up that afternoon. The government called them the old dandruff, bad blood, enemies of the glorious revolution, CIA agents. But here's what they really were, Christians who sought to be faithful to a power higher than the government. The family spent a sleepless night comforting one another and praying for each other as they lay bound together in the dewy grass. Next morning, the teenage soldiers returned and led them from their Gethsemane to their place of execution to the nearby Veal Somlap, the killing fields. The family was ordered to dig a grave large enough for themselves, can you imagine? Then consenting to Haim's request for a moment, to prepare, taking a moment to prepare themselves for death, father, mother and children, hands linked, knelt together around the gaping pit. With loud cries to God, Haim began exhorting both Khmer Rouge and all those looking on from afar to repent and believe the gospel. And then in panic, one of Haim's younger sons leapt to his feet, bolted into the surrounding bush and disappeared. Haim jumped up and with amazing coolness and authority prevailed upon the Khmer Rouge not to pursue the lad, but allow him to call the boy back. The onlookers peering around trees, the Khmer Rouge and the stunned family still kneeling at the gravesite, looked on in awe as Haim began calling his son, 
pleading with him to return and die together with his family. What comparison, my son, he called out. Stealing a few more days of life in the wilderness, a fugitive, wretched and alone, to joining your family here momentarily around this grave, but soon around the throne of God, free forever in paradise. After a few minutes, the bushes parted and the lad weeping walked slowly back to his place with the kneeling family. Now we are ready to go, I am told the Khmer Rouge. Few of those watching doubted that as each of these Christians' bodies toppled silently into the grave, their souls soared heavenward to a place prepared by their Lord. Incredible, incredibly moving account, isn't it? I remember reading this for the first time as a fairly new Christian, just wrestling. This is hard to accept. And if you're feeling that, you are not alone. For many Christians around the world, persecution is a daily reality. Friends, we live in an unusual place in an unusual time. We must remember the persecuted church. There is a cost to following Jesus. And some of us, I don't know what's around the corner for us, some of us may be asked to pay the ultimate price. This is a hard message to hear and preach this morning. But for many of us, that cost might look quite different. The cost may come in the form of rejection instead. Maybe not asking the ultimate price of us, but maybe rejection instead. What's that going to look like for us? I tried to spend some time this week thinking about what it looks like for us in our family situations, in our friend situations, at work. What could it look like at work? What if we're asked to do something unethical? Are we willing to take courage to stand and say no? We might witness abuse of power, people being taken advantage of at work or a colleague sexually harassed. Would we, like John, speak truth to power, counting the cost? Are we prepared to face the consequences of rejection? Are we willing to face that kind of rejection? Are we willing to face rejection as we share our faith with friends and family? How can we cope with rejection in counting the cost as a disciple? I'll tell you how. By seeking the only approval that matters. Jesus was rejected. The cost for him was his life. Yes, he truly deserved the opposite. All he did was teach the truth, heal people, restore the broken, yet his friends left him, the disciples abandoned him, and the authorities nailed him to a cross. On that cross, he experienced the rejection of our sins, separation from the Father, what you and I deserved, in order that we might gain the approval of God. Jesus was rejected so we might obtain the approval of God. Let that sink into your soul. In the Father, through Jesus, we experience the only approval that matters. How did that Cambodian family have the courage to face death like that? How do we have the courage to stand in the face of rejection? I'll tell you how. By seeking the only approval that matters. 
we can face the cost of following Jesus if it means rejection from others because God has said, I love you. I am with you. I am for you. In Jesus, I accept you. You are my child and nothing anybody does can take us away from that. We seek the only approval that matters and we can face anything. Let me pray. Invite the band up now as I pray. Heavenly Father, we want to admit to you this morning that this is not an easy message to hear. That we may experience rejection in following you. And we've got to be honest, we don't want to. Much of our, our flesh, much of our heart wants to have an easy life. And we thank you, Father, for the, the incredible stability of our country, for the life that you've given us. But Lord, we don't want an easy life, we want a good life. We acknowledge that the way of Jesus, the way of following you, can mean hard times. And so, Father, we ask that you would prepare us, strengthen our faith, strengthen our hearts. May we seek the only approval that matters. That's how we can cope for whatever may come. Lord, we want to take a moment to remember our many brothers and sisters around the world who are persecuted for their faith in you. Lord, strengthen them. Bring fair and stable governments to their regions. May we remember them. Help us to be generous, to give financially, to remember them in our prayers. Lord God, we ask that you give us the strength to step forward in faith no matter what happens. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.